catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Okay, so across Africa, cybersecurity incidents resulted in losses estimated at about $3.5 billion to about $4 billion. And in the second quarter of 2023 alone, Africa experienced about the highest average number of cyber attacks per week per organization, with a 23% increase compared to the same period in 2022. And in this episode, we would be looking at the trends in cybersecurity and the cybersecurity trends that shaped 2023. I have an IT security pre-sales engineer, Stephen Ogbebo. I hope I said the name right though. Uh, he's a dynamic IT security professional who spent the past you know, 10 years at the intersection of cutting-edge tech and robust security solutions. Uh, he, I also have with me a cybersecurity assurance professional at FBN Holdings, Dossier Alisa. Now, the surname, I hope I said both surnames, right? I'm going to ask them, by the way. Um, Dossier is a cybersecurity professional with a savviness for AI, that's artificial intelligence, and he's had extensive experience in IT risk management, ethical hacking, enterprise architecture, network engineering, and information system audits. So let's start with Steven. Hi, Steven. What's up? How are you doing today? I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, how do you say your surname? Or how do you say your name? Okay, that's Ogbebo. Okay, Ogbebo. Okay, beautiful. You are not too proud. Yeah, well, well. Uh, now, now I'm just at it, Ogbebo. Now I know, I know what it is now. Okay, thank you very much um, for joining this conversation. We also have Dozi with us. Dozi, can you please say your name? Well, hi, my name is Dozi Alisa. So you are correct. Oh, Alisa. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's the first time I'm, I'm hearing, you know, that name, like first time ever. So welcome uh, to this conversation. And uh, thank you for joining in. Yes. Maybe, you know, after, you know, the call uh, behind the scene, I'm going to ask what those names, like your names mean. But let's look at the trends that shaped Africa's cybersecurity space in 2023. Dose, what would your top three picks be? And this is me trying to restrict the conversation to just the top three so that we don't go any very long list. And then we'll go to Steven to hear what his are. So to see. Okay, for me, the top three with respect to the amount of revenue lost by different companies. The, the first one will be ransomware attack. Hmm. That's one of the highest ones. And then I, I would have called phishing, but I, I look at phishing as a way of delivery. That's how I choose to look at phishing. So I'm not going for phishing. So after that, I would, I would say malware attack. And now, usually, most professionals also like to make a distinction between malware and ransomware. Mm-hmm. You know, ransomware is a malware, but the distinction has just been made because of how they work. So there's the ransomware attack, there's the malware attack, you know, and that has to do with the virus and them all. And we have seen an increase in denial of service, distributed denial of service. So these are like the major concerns if I would say, trends that I've noticed within this particular period. Mm, okay, so uh, ransomware, malware, phishing, somewhere around that, and then DDoS, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So let's hear yours, Stephen. Okay, um, thanks. So in terms of uh, trends that have shipped uh, the cybersecurity space in 2023, 
I would like to look at it from this angle, I would say, with the explosion of uh, cloud adoption, as more and more businesses are adopting cloud technologies due to like cost savings, faster time to market, as well as scalability and flexibility. We are seeing a lot of cases where they are taking advantage of the cloud uh, without necessarily understanding like complexities and uh, best practices associated with securing a cloud environment. So that has led to a lot of attacks. We are seeing a lot of uh, environments that are wrongly configured when it comes to uh, cloud uh, technologies. And also with the uptick in uh, remote and uh, hybrid uh, work, all the way from COVID, we are still seeing it even this year. As more and more businesses are adopting like remote or hybrid environment. And as you know, uh, the defenses you have in place within the, the office space or on-prem is different from what uh, employees or have like uh, working remotely. For example, like they could uh, connect to unsecure networks, unsecure Wi-Fi networks, and they are vulnerable to like being attacked and all of that. So another trend that I think has shaped this security space this year is uh, security misconfigurations. So this seems kind of trivial, but from the experience we've had this year, we are seeing lots of cases where uh, security systems are erroneously configured or have uh, missing configurations. And these configurations could be exploited by bad actors. They could use it to gain authorized access to authorization systems and data. So uh, if I'm to like summarize, I would say these three trends, the cloud adoption, the remote or hybrid work environment, as well as security misconfigurations, I would say these have shipped cybersecurity space in Africa uh, to a large extent. Very interesting. Now, now this takes me to the next, which would be the, I want to call them emerging technologies. You know, you just mentioned cloud, cloud adoption. What impacts the, you know, things like the cloud adoption, AI, uh, deep fake, IoT, like what impact did these have on cybersecurity and how we related with, you know, cybersecurity in 2023? Steven and then Dozier. All right, that's uh, actually a very interesting question. Yeah, so we've actually seen like the emergence and widespread use of uh, artificial intelligence, not just in security, but across all uh, spheres. As we saw this year, a lot of people started learning our chat GPT, generating AI. So while uh, it has a lot of benefits, it could also be used for nefarious purposes. So for example, like AI could be used to uh, identify system vulnerabilities automatically and launch uh, automated attacks. So the speed and scale of this could be unprecedented. So even not just enterprises, even governments and individuals could uh, be affected by this. So in as much as AI has a lot of good, it could also be used by the bad guys, yes, to cause a lot of damage. Then you mentioned a deep fakes. So this actually poses an existential threat to the truth. So even the truth itself. So this is where AI is being used to create realistic but false images, videos, and audio. Just for example, like how do you deny that you didn't say something when there's a video of you like actually saying something? So this could be used for a lot of fraudulent purposes and to spread misinformation. And also emerging trends such as IoT. We are living in a connected world these things. So a lot of a lot of people are adopting their smart technologies, have smart watches, and then even in the in the corporate environment or in the enterprise environment, uh, we have the IoT devices. And uh, it, it's common knowledge that IoT devices have weak security 
uh, which made them an interesting target for, for bad actors. So they could use this as a gateway for wider network access uh, and cause a lot of damage, even for individuals. For example, like we are, we are wearing smart watches, our homes are, we have smart homes nowadays. Uh, so this could also be exploited by bad guys and uh, could lead to undesirable outcomes. Josie, what do you think? Okay, okay, first of all, I would really thank David for the very holistic approach. Yeah, he really did justice. Um, I would like to add that uh, one of the issues with respect to, you know, emerging technologies, I would first start with quantum cryptography, for example. With the rise in quantum computers, the normal encryption that we have these days that's supposed to, you know, um, secure data. Let me first say the work function. Work function is what we, when we look at encryption, work function is in the layman's term, the amount of work you would take to break a particular encryption. Now, because the work function was calculated using our normal computers. So, okay, well, that's good. But now, quantum computers are coming and quantum computers are faster. So, what would usually take probably two years to break the normal kind of computers we have now. The quantum computer, it takes minutes. So it means that the world as we are, as we see a rise in quantum computing, it is not yet mainstream, but several large corporates actually use them. There is room for quantum cryptography because our normal cryptography will not be able to stand an attack from the quantum computers. Okay, so now I would like to talk about AI. AI is something I, I have worked several projects that has to do with AI. And when we usually talk about cybersecurity and AI, we don't talk about protecting AI from malicious hackers. When you talk about, okay, how malicious attackers can use AI, but AI also needs protection, just like a database, just like a web application, just like every technology, mm -hmm. AI also needs protection. So you have to go like um, we actually we made a framework for uh, how to manage AI environment, and it's very very it's a very very good one. I've gone through it. Um, I really have a lot to say on AI, but I don't want to take a lot of our time, so I'll just stop here. Okay, okay, interesting points here. So that one actually got to me, you know, ensuring that we protect AI from malicious attack and not just, you know, the other way around or how we've been going about it. Now, in terms of the threat incidents that we witnessed in 2023, uh, you know, bringing this home, yeah, across the continent, you know, in Nigeria, for example, which is um, Africa's largest country, which do you recall, you know, if we have to like say, oh, name uh, the top five or the top three in terms of incidents that we witnessed in 2023, Dossier and then Steven? Oh, okay. So... Well, the incident, I, I don't, I would not like to mention the organization, but oh, ransom. Yes, yeah, so, so I think, I, I think we can, I think we can uh, maybe talk, um, talk around what happened. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Describe exactly. what happened here, yeah, the situation and not exactly mention yeah, the, the. Okay. Yeah. So a particular organization in Nigeria, there was a ransomware attack. All their data was hashed and mm -hmm. they couldn't have access to their data. In fact, it disrupted work. And this was just after they announced their profit. And it was just bad. A very messy situation. There was another one, also a ransomware attack on a very big organization too. We cannot also tell if payments were made. But um, one, of, one of the things I've noticed is 
and it's actually what anybody would do. Most hackers and most of the hacking groups were not even African groups. They were from Pakistan, Russia, and Africa to hack into Africa because most of the devices we use have really planned their end of life. So we, they, we have devices that patches are no longer released. So we have lots of exploit of vulnerabilities that can just come and just, you know, if, if when you bring a budget to a typical executive in large corporate in Nigeria, they see cybersecurity budgets are oh, these people have come to take money again. Oh, how will this increase our bottom line? Oh, you know, that is how they look at it. And for these people outside it's easy, most of our devices are not supported anymore. There are no patches for these devices. And the exploits that are available in the world and it will just be me and it will just be a walk in the park. So our our our, our response team in cybersecurity, especially in Africa, is usually reactive and not proactive. We once something happens, everybody, okay, 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 okay. Now now let's form this billion into cybersecurity. And you know, it's just it's painful. And and just for clarity, when you say patches, what do you mean? Okay, when I say patches, I mean, um, when a software company releases, let's say, um, an operating system or a software, usually there can be vulnerabilities in that software that you might not even find. Their own testing team, quality assurance team, might not even be able to find the last bit. So that's why you have things like bug bounty that they say, okay, look at this, our software, tell us what a software is supposed to do A, B, C. Can you get it, our software to do J, A, B? To so work out of what it was programmed for. So when you are able to see, get it to do something it wasn't programmed to do, it's a bug. And then a patch is now going to be written to, so that's like, for example, you, you check your phone and you say, oh, there's an update. Mm-hmm. Your software needs an update. That goes down. So for the, yeah, so for the end user, it's an update. Yeah, exactly. For the end user, it's an update. So when a particular hardware or software has passed its end of life, it's no more supported. So any new vulnerability discovered or old vulnerability that has been discovered is just there. The company is not going to write a patch to solve it. They are going to focus on what is current. That means everybody using those hardware or you know software, they are actually just open for any attack and they are not under any protection. Except they demand compensating protocol and controls. But how would you know? So it's, it's bad. That's OIO on your own, totally on your own. Okay, um, Stephen, what do you think? Uh, what are your thoughts? And uh, maybe you have um, so much more jaw-dropping examples. Okay, because he actually mentioned uh, one which is ransomware. Uh, we've seen an uptick <laughs> number of ransomware incidents across Africa. So what we've seen uh, is the new trend, and I call it uh, ransomware 2.0. It's basically ransomware as a service. So it's a subscription-based model where uh, affiliates can subscribe to a, a ransomware vendor and uh, execute ransomware attack. So they could ex- execute this ransomware attacks and uh, they get commissions for every successful ransom payment. So it's scary because uh, the barrier of entry has actually been reduced. Like, so God at this way, you need to know how to code the right, uh, the right uh, ex- exploits and all of that. So now even script kiddies or beginners can easily like subscribe to these uh, ransomware as a service models and deploy sophisticated ransomware attacks. So, and not just that, uh, they also have this, like call it double uh, extortion mechanisms. 
So what we had in the past was when the bad guys or the bad actors had encrypted your your files and your 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 information, they will ask uh, for a ransom so you could get the decrypt the decryption key. But now what we are seeing, what we are seeing uh, across Africa is cases where they are also threatening to publish your sensitive information on the dark web if you don't pay within a specified timeline. So they are, they are trying to extort you from, from two different angles. So we've actually seen an uptick of that. And also uh, another one very significant is uh, distributed denial of service. This has affected a lot of Nigerian companies I'm aware of from uh, FSIs to telcos. Yeah, we're not mentioning names here. <laughs> 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 okay, so uh, I don't know if you heard recently of uh, this activist group, uh, just to shed more light on their, what activist is. So they hack for political reasons. I heard they hack for a purpose. So I think that in the middle of this year, this activist group, Anonymous Sudan, so they were causing a lot of terror <laughs> in the African space, launching DDoS attacks left, right, and center. Yeah, so it affected a lot of organizations. And like Tosier said, most organizations are reactive rather than proactive. So we started seeing officials reaching out to us uh, wanting to implement a DDoS mitigation solution, So, which is something that should have been done a long time ago. And bear in mind that a DDoS attack, uh, they, are not, they don't want to breach you. They don't want to like gain access to your environment. They just want to take you offline so legitimate users can't access resources. So they're basically overwhelming your resources and this could lead to like so many, so many bad cases uh, reputational damage, uh, loss of revenue, you name it. So in 2023, across Africa, we had an uptick in uh, DDoS attacks. And uh, if I'll just add uh, one more, phishing still seems to be a very, 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 very potent attack, even in Africa. And as we all know, uh, from, from the experience I've had with a couple of clients, they just use their email clients unprotected, like uh, they don't have like email security solutions in place to protect uh, against things such as spam, something that's basic as spam, phishing, malware, business email compromise. So, and if your employees are not trained on how to detect uh, phishing attacks, they could easily fall victims to this. So we actually saw a lot of uh, cases of, uh, of phishing attacks across Africa as well. I think I'll just end here. Now, let me let me start in my reaction to what Dozier mentioned about, you know, attacks from you know, persons and personalities and organizations outside of Africa, like as far as Pakistan. Now, what I'm thinking, uh, this this is you know, connected to two things, funding and some form of awareness. We had cybersecurity month here. We have cybersecurity month every October. And every October, you know, everyone, it's either it's going to be like, you know, you do like a hashtag, and social media managers use it, you know, to, you know, create more buzz around, you know, the, so the organization, you know, what the organization is doing. And maybe there's like a workshop that's organized and, you know, that's literally the end of it. It's just a budget allocated. What would you say, you know, in terms of funding, have we maybe improved a little bit more? Um, are we still there? Are we still maybe just curing the wounds on the surface and not really going deep? in terms of um, allocating enough funding for cybersecurity and in awareness, learning and training, how far do you think we fed this year? Duzi? Thank you very much for the question. I, I would say uh, it's not where it is supposed to be, but it's better than previous years. 
Uh, it's not actually where it's supposed to be. We've seen an increase in cybersecurity awareness. We have seen lots of companies now doing phishing simulation tests. We have seen lots of companies, uh, for example, like the um, NDPR law that was signed was June or July, June, I think it was June. You know, they were setting mandatory requirements for any organization that processes customer data up to 2000. You should have this, you should have that in place. So these are, you know, it's, it's not as robust as the EU GDPR and all, but it's a step in the right direction. We have um, the OFI document from CBN to financial institutions. That was actually very, very good too. To regulate, so you see an increase in cybersecurity jobs now, for example, because sometimes because it's, re it's a regulatory requirement, other times because the importance is now known. So uh, it, it, the awareness, level of awareness has increased, but it's not where we want it to be. It's not, it, we have not attained um, a level of comfortability, but we are better than we were. Now, Stephen, in terms of workforce, do we have enough persons? And uh, what do you think about the quality of persons we have? Now, this I'm asking this in relation to the Jackba syndrome, the hashtag Jackba um, that's happening. Um, one, for those who physically are here on the continent, but work for firms outside the continent. So their brains are nine to five, either in the morning or in the night, you know, outside of the continent. And for those who physically move from Africa to see greener pastures, what do you think in terms of workforce? How much are we doing? Um, do we need more persons to be in this space? Remember that um, even very, in quotes, elevated, you know, courses that, you know, people read in universities like, you know, doctors uh, and lawyers are also jackpying, you know, talk more of, you know, the cybersecurity brains. Yeah, so that's actually a very important topic of discussion. So the brain drain is actually very real. You said it's affecting other professions. You see uh, doctors and uh, the likes. And even more so, the cybersecurity professionals, they are not being left out as well. So uh, how does this affect like uh, the security in Africa and uh, the level of talent? So I would say it has affected it significantly because a lot of the talented Look at the banks, for example. A lot of the top guys, the, the top IT professionals in the banks, most of them, they've either left the country or are making plans to leave the country. So uh, you are now left with, I wouldn't say what's the current crop, people that are left behind and not qualified, but I'm just saying that experience because most of these guys that work in the bank, they have uh, years of experience as it relates to cybersecurity space in Nigeria. And, and Africa. So they're not having like the, the ones that are left behind. People know they know their stuff, but they don't have the, the number of years of experience and all of that. So what can organizations do about that? I think training, training is key. Like the cybersecurity field is, is very dynamic. It cuts across a lot of areas from network security to governance, risk and compliance, all the way to uh, red teaming and all of that. So. I think uh, organizations need to uh, invest a lot when it comes to training and retention. So I know like with uh, the outflow of professionals out of the country, I think organizations need to do more in terms of compensation because it seems like uh, professionals now, uh, fairly desk professionals, they have, uh, will I say, a lot of 
uh, option. I would say they have a lot of options because uh, a lot of the good ones are leaving, so organizations are looking to fill in vacant positions being left behind by these guys. So I think organizations need to do a lot in terms of training and retaining their top talent. I think I'll end that there. Does he, do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, yeah sure. Because, you know, I'm, okay, almost of my career I've been in the financial sector. So I have seen quite a level of change, trend, and, you know, the effect. Um, I would say the Jackpot syndrome is good and bad. It's good and it's bad. It's good because we now have um, the vacuum created. A lot of people have now stepped up to take that position. A lot of people are learning on the job. A lot of people are being trained by different companies. We have different banks doing tech um, tech training schools, you know, this and that. Yeah, that, that's good because sometimes when you look at it, you see that um, what you are paying someone high and what an entry-level staff is doing is almost the same thing yeah and with respect to experience sometimes um let's say with how technology is moving fast some old experience might not uh, not not might not necessarily be relevant to the new when for example uh, what kind of old experience would you use at ai has come now let's say your, your organization try to adopt ai solution how would your previous experience when that is your first time meeting AI? Because technology is always advancing. You have, um, it is only those that stay abreast of the next wave that keep being relevant. Not just, you know, if we just have wealth of years ending floppy disk or something, you know, that is probably backward. So it's good because a lot of, we now have a lot of tech hands. Almost everybody can write. Um, hello world, everybody, you know, we just have a lot of that. Now, the issue that we're going to have is that after being trained and after coming to a particular level of, of comfortability, they'll leave. That is just the issue. So people are using the companies as a stepping ground and the companies look, so they're also paying them little. So they won't want to increase the, the payment that, you know, what you really want to give and IT staff, let's say 10 years ago, because they know they are going to leave. So let's just train you. You work for us while we are training you. For certain organizations, the time bond, for certain organizations, they try to implement every kind of, you know, gymnastic to keep them, but they'll just go. And that's it. But the reason people are leaving companies is not because of companies, it's because of Nigeria. It's because of, you know, the country, not because of the company. Because I can leave Deloitte, Nigeria, and go and work in Deloitte, UK, and I'll be better off. So, usually because of the country, not necessarily because of the company. That's why people are actually living. So, something that's really, before I get to the regulation, in terms of, Stephen mentioned the NDPR, uh, maybe the Startup Act that Nigeria signed. Um, I know, you know, Kenya is looking to sign in a Startup Act too in 2024. Before I get to the regulations part and how we're faring on that end or how we fared in 2023, 2023 was also a year of elections on the continent, right? From Kenya to Nigeria, Liberia just, you know, finished theirs. And most of these countries moved a notch further to getting improved processes, adding something digital to the elections. What were your thoughts, first of all, 
when we started this year and you heard that we we're going to be doing a lot of the elections or we have a lot more processes that are being digitized. Let me first get your opinion on that first. So, Stephen, I need to see you. What did you think about our cybersecurity professionals? And you're hearing that oh, there would be this, there would be that. We're doing much more digital in our elections. Okay. I, I don't, I'm, I'm looking for the best way to say it. Okay. But I, I, I didn't have any level of confidence in the process. Oh, wow. Not because okay. we did not have brief. Not because we did not. The way we look at the information system management, information security management, we are talking about people, technology, and process. So, yes, we should have the right technology in place. Do we have the right people in place? Do we have the right, the right processes in place? So, Nigeria, we are, not just Nigeria, Africans, we are very intelligent people. We, you know, lots of things going on, and it's very, very lovely. But I, like, I just did not have any level of confidence, and I wasn't surprised with any of the outcomes. Oh, okay. You you've got you've gone faster than I, I wanted to go. Um, Stephen, what what did you feel like at first? Okay, yeah. So I thought it was a welcome development, and it was going to reduce like the, the likelihood of manipulations and all of that. But as Sozia said, at the end of the day, in the day really leave us with so much confidence. I'm trying not to get political here, but uh, as we all know, with uh, when technology is being used for anything. It's, it's susceptible to vulnerabilities. So there are always potential weaknesses. For example, like how can we ascertain like the voter registration databases are secure or or the, the voting machines have not been tampered with? How can we ensure the integrity of that? Same thing with the result reporting system. So how can we ensure like the confidentiality of that information or all of that? So uh, while technology like offers a lot of uh, growth and it could be used to digitize a lot of things, it also exposes uh, us to vulnerabilities or weaknesses that could be exploited. Uh, we saw the outcome of the elections. Uh, we have seen people like uh, saying this, this, using Nigeria as a case study. So they did their accreditation and all of that. These were the number of accredited voters. Then on the results reporting system, we have seen a different figure. So how do we reconcile that? So yes, I think that's uh, something that Africa as a whole needs to improve upon. And as Dozier said, all everything has to come together, not just the technology, the people and the processes, uh, so as to create for like a, a truly credible election. And if I just add something regarding how technology shaped elections across Africa, I would say one very some, something we saw that was widespread was uh, social media manipulation. So uh, social media was used to spread disinformation as well as influence public opinion regarding a particular candidate and all of that. I think. Most of these uh, social media platforms could do a lot by verifying like authenticity of uh, information which is posted. I think uh, Twitter or X, like it's now called, just uh, implemented community notes. So it gives some contest into how, how true or false uh, a particular statement is. But I think uh, like these social media companies could do a lot to, to prevent this social media manipulation. Okay, now the, the next question is... Elections, you know, have come and gone for some countries. For some others, 2024, you know, like South Africa and, and others too. And there are new leaders, you know, in different frontiers. In Nigeria, Africa's largest country, those in charge of tech, technology and the related areas and industries are looking to doing more with tech. 
Now, Stephen mentioned the NDPR, and I also uh, know that the late in 2022, Nigeria's president, uh, former president now, uh, Muhammad Buhari, signed the Startup Act. What, in terms of regulations that speak to cybersecurity, interested you in 2023? And which ones did you look at or you know think about and say mm, this may not be like the you know best way to go about it laws regulations announcements anything in that region okay well for me i i didn't really see regulation that i felt we had not too good i i went through the NDPR, i went through the ufi i went through the risk management you know i went through a couple of them and because most of these frameworks that we are being that are being adopted in Nigeria, they actually frameworks abroad. So we just, if you, for example, if you look at the the one used by TBN, just that okay, this is just most framework in National Institute of Science and Technology abroad. So we just you know tweak here and there, and then you know we just adopted it as our own framework. So most of the frameworks, I haven't really um, looked at it, in, it from the aspect of okay, trying to find things that are wrong I, I haven't seen you know things that are wrong for now you know when, when you're looking at the regulations and requirements objectively now forgetting what is happening you know in real life application just looking at the regulation as a regulation regulations are very very good okay so in terms of uh, regulations uh, so it's not something new uh, over the years not just Nigeria a couple of African countries uh, made efforts uh, towards implementing laws, uh, regulations, as it relates uh, to cybersecurity and uh, data protection. So while this is a welcome development, I just feel like uh, the implementation of these uh, laws and regulations have been largely at this now. Like, uh, for example, look at the EU, for example, that uh, they adopt uh, the GDPR, the uh, General Data Protection Regulation. So this applies to all nations in the EU. So you don't have like uh, individual nations or regions like uh, having their own regulation. You have like one holistic regulation that applies to uh, all EU countries. So with what is happening in uh, in Africa cur- currently, you see in Nigeria we have NIDA. In South Africa they have their own regulation. So we have it leads to confusion. And there's not like a consolidated approach towards security. So I feel like uh, if African nations should come together and put up like, will I say, uh, a united front when it comes to cybersecurity and data protection regulation, that would go a long way because uh, it's not just enough to have laws and regulations. How uh, efficiently are these implemented? So I think that's that's what's taking order. Hmm, very interesting points there. Now, I... I noticed that a couple of countries on the continent in the past one year tried to get their data or the data of their citizens or the data of, you know, the different agencies and government online. And I know that a couple of countries also, you know, tried to bring some things in relation to biometric identity, introduce, you know, biometric identification, I get all of that data and, you know, I don't have like a company manage it or, you know, something like that. In terms of e-governance, in terms of 
um, you know, getting the data of citizens and data of government agencies online. What fears do you have and what benefits, you know, could this have for the cybersecurity industry? Okay. So in terms of this data collection, uh, it has its good sides and bad sides. The good sides, I would say, like, uh, it allows the government to have, like, a less centralized database its citizens, uh, if they can uh, like aggregate all of this information, it could be used uh, to fight crime. For example, uh, I think a lot of organizations ask you for your NIN. Uh, I think that is supposed to be able to like identify you, supposed to be unique to every individual. So I think that's actually a welcome development. But as you all know, uh, it also like uh, it also has its bad sides. For example. So uh, these organizations are collecting so much information and there's every possibility that what if these uh, data collection organizations are breached and this sensitive information is, uh, is disclosed. For example, your, your BVN number uh, is, is disclosed. It, that could have a lot of undesirable consequences. And I also noticed something like um, if you've given your, your BVN number once, you don't need to like, also, will I say, produce it a second time. But I think there's a, a duplication of this collection point. I think there should be a, like a centralized way, way at every point in time. Once you've provided such information, you don't need to provide it again. And I also think a, a lot needs to go into uh, a reducing the amount of uh, information organizations can collect and uh, uh, protecting this data as well. Well, because like I said, if this uh, information goes into the, the hands of uh, malicious actors, it could be used for uh, nefarious purposes. Do mm. Now, something else I would like to add, uh, when we look at cybersecurity, we are looking at, at basic tenets. We are looking at confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Confidentiality that only people that want to see data can see it. Integrity that the data can only be changed by people who are authorized to change it. Availability that data is available as that when needed. Now, in the availability part, for most state controlled organizations, one of the issues having worked in the financial sector is that so sometimes you can just think that BVM portal is down mm-hmm. and it can be down for hours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That the fact that it is not available. Mm-hmm. A cybersecurity incident, and we don't, we, we usually, when we look at that, oh, wow. we don't think in terms of, we think in terms of breach, if there is a breach, no, data should be available. Well, if we just want it to be secure, we can keep the data in the middle of an ocean. But then it will not be available. So there is need for availability when it comes to, to, to cybersecurity. It's not something that is usually talked about. Next one downtime, we are supposed to have them. The NIN portal almost always down. The BVM portal almost always down. Several other portals. So most state controlled organizations that deal with data, you know, we fill the amount every day that we fill the budget and we will not see a corresponding level of uptime from those data, from, from those amounts really that are being declared. So that is something that needs to be done. The uptime needs to be maintained 99.9%. If we want to do any work, probably at night, it's okay, we are doing, we are kind of maintaining for so, so time, so, so time, I have never gotten any email from any, I don't know if you have, it's just saying that, oh, our customers are available by such time because we are carrying out maintenance. Nothing. So it's just there. So most state control, the uptime is always a problem. So that's it. And another thing, 
just taking a, a cue from what Stephen said, these, these things are just being proliferated. Everybody is asking for your NIN. Now, IKDDC said you should use me to register and people move from house to house. So, like, I've just been thinking of how, like, if you, what means, you know, it's just a problem. Now, how, how robust, I can even see that a, a, a uh, what's it called? It's an electrical company. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Now, how, how, how sure am I that my data is secure with IKEDC? How, so you have several companies requesting for data and most of them for regulatory reasons, but the, 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 the commensurate level of preparedness, security-wise for those data, I do not have the confidence that it has been taken into account. So that's actually something that needs to be looked into. Very, very, very important points raised by both of you, Stephen and Dossier. Now, something much more direct. Dossier, in terms of the open banking regulation, you know, that I think it was this year, 2023, that Nigeria released um, that. Do you have any thoughts around that and cybersecurity? Or, or the cyber sec- looking at the cybersecurity status of Nigeria, what are your thoughts about the open banking regulation? Okay, thank you. Now, with respect to the open banking regulation, soon, yeah, there are concerns. There are serious concerns. But it's not anything that um, I've gone through um, several requirements and they are okay. If they're going to be implemented, it's okay. You know, for, you know, with respect to the level of risk, you cannot tell a company that makes, let's say, a turnover of 20 million or 50 million, for example, to now use 40 million for, you know, cybersecurity solutions or not. It's not a realistic expectation. So, with respect to the, to the requirement given to different uh, companies with respect to their turnover, with respect to the number of uh, customers, with respect to the amount, it's it, it fair. Okay. Okay, but... But one of the things I would really love is most of, well, there is an idea called the Bankers Bank. So the Bankers Bank, it, it has to do with, yeah, this particular organization collects money, but which organization keeps the money? Because you're, for example, you know, this, our organization is insured by N, um, NDI. NDI is the only government of 500,000 Naira by individual. So, just in case you have 10 million naira, but I think that you know, said low, they are insured by NGIC. In the tune of 500, let's don't get me very scared. So if there's any issue, you get 500,000 naira back. <laughs> so that is something that, that, you know, so we should now look at bank card bank. Now, okay, even if these organizations are allowed to spend money, these organizations should keep that money. She need it back because banks are very regulated and they can. They can, with respect to how large they are, they can withstand, you know, several, a particular level of turmoil and still bounce back. We have different, of course, we, we know what's happening with Patricia. We know what's happening with, um, you know, just several organizations just spring up and then the next thing there is an issue because that level of robustness to withstand turmoil in the business terrain was not actually there. So it's really something that. I would really love that they should be bankers, but so yeah, you can do anything, but make sure you your your funds are with a bank, you know, a bankers bank with CBN. Let let it just be there and clearly stated. I think it would really 
increase confidence level. Okay. Should there be anything that, looking at this regulation, the end users should be careful of or should be wary of or should, you know, have at the back of their minds? Okay. Uh, with respect to end users, the business, you know, what of what CBN has done over a while is to restore confidence after the fall of Savannah Bank and the rest, is to restore confidence in the banking system in Nigeria. Don't make you know that, okay, my money is going to be there no matter what, not going to vote. And they really did a very, very great job. I mean, when, during the election time, when most big banks, the networks were shaky, people just went straight to open, went straight to without even thinking, because they had that assurance that, you know, because CBN has actually done what they have done, they are on that assurance that no matter where I keep my money, my money is safe. So there's a level of confidence when it comes to to you know, banking in Nigeria. Most people don't think that their bank is going to crash. They don't have that fear, unlike you know our parents' time. But one of the things I would say, there are just certain important things. You're not going to be asked for your pin. You're not going to be asked for an OTP. You're not going to be, there are just certain very important things that once you keep those things clear, your full ATM pan, the numbers there, called PAM, they're not going to be asked for it. So once we, we know all those things, they're going to be, you know, we are going to have a high level of safety. But once you just know those basic things that nobody is asking for any of your number, nobody is asking for any OTP, no organization will ask for an OTP, organization will ask for your BVN because we can see it, we have it already, so we can't be asking for it. We are not going to ask, there are just several questions that, you know, no organization is going to ask and yes, going to, as an end that, you should know that if everybody is cyber aware, you know, we were going to give the hackers a rock for their money. Uh, that that sounds like a very audacious statement. <laughs> but yes, let, let let me be let let me agree with you. <laughs> now, um Stephen, in terms of digital assets and the cybersecurity awareness around your digital assets, because we have a lot of people who now work with digital assets you know from those that are monetary related to those you know that are not directly associated or attached to money How, what's uh, the status like in terms of cyber security i would say it's not yet supposed to be but i think there has been like uh, an improvement from subsequent years so something i always preach is visibility so you can't uh, protect what you don't have any visibility in so and for the longest time, we had a lot of organizations, they didn't they lack that visibility into their assets, both uh, IT assets, software assets, even uh, IT assets. So uh, nowadays, we will have shadow IT. So these are IT systems that the IT team, they're not even aware, is in use in their environment. And this could be uh, uh, gateways for bad actors to cause uh, compromise and, and you name it. So, uh, so visibility is actually very key. Once you have that visibility into your assets, you are, I think you are, you are stepping in the right direction and you are one step ahead of the bad guys. And another thing I always uh, recommend is once you have that visibility into your assets, whatever the asset it may be, you need to understand the, the vulnerabilities associated with those assets. Yeah. So in previous years, that has not been the case, but, uh, we've seen like uh, an uptick in the adoption of these technologies like more and more are understanding the importance of these solutions that could uh, 
identify the vulnerabilities associated with the assets so they could take a proactive action before the bad guys cause damage. So I think it has improved as compared to previous years, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. Great. Thank you so much. It's been really great um, speaking to both of you about the trends um, according to your expertise that shaped cybersecurity in 2023 here on the continent. And thank you very much to Stephen. Stephen Ugbeboy is an IT security resource engineer at Uranus. I didn't mention that in the intro. And thanks to Dozier Alisa, he's a cybersecurity assurance professional at FBN Holdings. FBN is a First Bank of Nigeria Holdings. Thank you, Dozi, and thank you, Stephen. All right, thanks a lot. Yes, now to wrap up, um, I... No, Dozi, Dozi, I need to say thank you too before, before I cut you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, so to wrap up, what are your wishes for Christmas and for the new year? Dozi and Stephen. Okay, wait, let me wish you. I want to be with you. Well, Hello. it's it's open ended. <laughs> it's open ended. Huh? Huh? Ooh. Well, if I say in this now, you say that we just finished talking about hashtag Jackba brain train. Wow! I feel I will not say. So, uh I don't need. Not waiting with Jackie. I mean, I don't. I don't with Jackie. Okay, that's strange. Uh, you already made a wish, anyways. Uh, so what would, what would you <laughs> what would you like to wish every other person? <laughs> okay, I wish everyone you know Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, fruitful time ahead. Okay, okay, beautiful, Steven. I hope, I really just hope that your wishes or your wish or the uh, um, you know internal wish you're going to express is not you know the one that. He did not express, Stephen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, basically, like uh, this is uh, according to everyone the the life year, the best time of the year. So I wish everybody glad tidings. So yeah, glad tidings, and uh, it's my wish that uh, the the current economic climate uh, fades uh, becomes uh, what we all hope Nigeria is supposed to be. Uh, I wish everybody good health uh, and yeah, just best wishes basically. <laughs> yeah, so and uh, also like uh, just to encourage everyone to stay uh, cyber smart. Uh, even though everybody's going on holidays, the bad guys are not going on holidays. So everybody should remain vigilant even this festival. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.